Hello and welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where Macintosh and Mod force each other to watch movies they should have already seen. I'm David, aka Macintosh. And I'm Diana, aka Mod. What are we watching this week? The Sting. Two grifters team up to pull off the ultimate con. Mm-hmm. 1973, uh, $5.5 million budget, and took in about $159 million gross. You know, we really have to start doing the exchange rate on that. Uh, I mean, adjusted for inflation, it's the 19th most profitable film ever. Well, I can understand why. Oh, it is very good. Now, this is an unusual film for us to do because we have both never seen it. No. Um, but it was one of those, we've heard great things, it's an Oscar winner, so let's just do it. I haven't asked this question in a while. Why hadn't you seen this movie? I think it, again, I have a gap in the 70s. Mm. Uh, this wasn't one that they replayed on TV for me, so... They don't play this very often. And I'm surprised, because this would play very well on TV. I have to imagine it's a rights issue. Possibly. And the studio not wanting anybody to touch it except for them to get the money. I don't know. But it would play well on TV. It doesn't have any bad language. doesn't have anything, you know, there's no nudity. There's a little bit of violence, but nothing graphic by any means. I mean, it's a PG movie. Yeah. So this this would play very well on television. All right, so let's just go ahead and start with our writer. Okay. Uh, David S. Ward. After this, he did Major League, King Ralph, and Sleepless in Seattle. All right, so so what do you think about the writing? I don't know that the writing is anything special in this movie. Agreed. I don't think that takes away anything from it. No. I feel like this is a very workaday script, just a a decent, solid movie script Mm -hmm. that wouldn't mean anything if it weren't for who did it and how they did it. It's a wonderful idea. It could maybe use one, a passive at punch up, I think. I think there's a lot more opportunities for humor with the dialogue that they didn't take, but it's still a solid story from start to finish. Okay, so you haven't ever seen Butch, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. No. And I know we can get into this with the director mm-hmm. and the actors and mm-hmm. lots of people involved. This kind of feels like the last true movie of that 60s era Mm -hmm. of filmmaking, which certain things bled into the Martin Scorsese's and Steven Spielberg's of the world. Okay. Like, you know, the the French New Wave and and Italian films of that time started to bleed into different types of things. And then there was also this natural movement from, like, the Federico Fellini's of the world. Okay. That's kind of what these movies feel like. They're deliberately slow. They're deliberately... No, I'm fine with the slow. I'm just saying way. they could have punched up the dialogue a little bit. Right. And, and I, I felt like it needed one more pass of that. What's missing is just a little bit more humor. It's It doesn't have that Ocean's Eleven quality Yeah. Of, of just some of that dialogue or incidental humor. I don't get it as much. You do get it more when Paul Newman's character shows up, but there should have been more of it. And I guess my, my feeling was... Was that intentional? Because I think it might have been. Which, I'm not saying that's good or bad. Mm-hmm. Just, I, that's something that comes to mind in thinking about these types of movies. Okay, well the other thing with the writing is that they got sued for it. 
Oh. Mm-hmm. David S. Ward, who wrote the book, he did a bunch of research, but he pulled heavily from a book called The Con, and that writer sued for um, infringement. It was too close to what he wrote. And Paramount, I believe it was Paramount, decided, yeah, we're going to have to pay you because they actually used lines from that book, The Big Con, in their promotional materials. He had, they had to settle with that writer for $300,000. Nicely done. So that clouds our writing just a little bit. It's, it's a script. There's nothing special about it. What makes this movie special is some of the other stuff, which I bet you're going to get into. All right, let's go right to our director, George Roy Hill. Uh-huh. Uh, previously, before this film, he did Thoroughly Modern Millie, which okay. is a wonderful movie and a really good musical. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, so good. Never seen it. Slaughterhouse-Five. I have not seen that. I want to. Mm-hmm. I've heard great things. And then after this film, some of the big ones he did was Slapshot in the World According to Garp. Yeah. Nope. Which is a weird movie, but good. So what do we think about the directing of this film? Well, I've seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Which I have not. And it's going on there eventually. Of course. I love it. Mm-hmm. This is one of those cases where it's a movie that moves slow, mm-hmm. and it's perfect that it does. Oh, I agree. He I'm just... fine with the slow and the exposition. It's fun. Not even slow and exposition, but just he is so willing to just let the mood take over the scene. Well, I feel like he trusted what he was doing. Yeah. Um, and he really employed uh, gimmicks from the 30s. I mean, that's when this takes place. Yeah. I love the title cards. It's so good. It's a great choice and a great way to break up that movie. This movie, because it moves so slow, mm-hmm. it's perfect to put it in sort of a chapter-like format. Yes. No, and I love those. Um, they purposely did not use extras because they wouldn't have used them back then. So there are very few to no extras in the entire film. So it makes sense that, I guess then, they were really trying to get that feel of a 30s movie. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense with the title cards, the beginning, where we see all the actors in the scenes. Yes. Yeah, it, it, they they are definitely mimicking that style in a very specific way. Yeah, no, I, I, I think his direction is great. He is, when we see Butch Cassidy, something that comes up with that, and I think it's it's done really well in this movie, is that they he likes to take a genre and then flip it on its head. Mm-hmm. He likes to go completely against what you would expect in a genre movie. Okay. And he does that a lot in this. Like, this is a, this is a quote, 30s gangster film, but then everybody's well-spoken mm-hmm. and quiet, and they're not bombastic, and it's a slow burn rather than a punch in the face all the time. So, like, if you're thinking of the normal 30s gangster movie, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be any of this. Oh, agreed. But and this isn't so much a gangster film. This is a con. It is a con. And it's a, it's so good. It's a, it's very, very good. And you can tell just how much Soderbergh was pulling from this in structuring his cons. Agreed. For Ocean's Eleven. Well, to be fair, Ocean's Eleven is based on Ocean's Eleven, which we've never read to watch the original. I've seen it. I haven't. I, um... It's fine. He's he's getting some of the Vegas stuff from that, but honestly, you get you get the same vibe, which is good. Well, and what I think is Soderbergh definitely made sure his con mm-hmm. in that movie was built in such an elaborate way as in this movie. Yes. The con in the original Ocean's 11 is almost nothing. It's a flimsy premise to bring together the Rat Pack, honestly. Okay, well then I appreciate the fact that in Ocean's 11 our current version that they've uh, that they've made the, the 
the heist better. Yeah, the heist More is thorough. the heist is the central part of that movie, not yeah. bringing all these people in the room together. Okay, well that's good. So, uh, fun trivia about the director. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be him. It was supposed to be David S. Ward, the writer. He was supposed to direct it. Ooh. But Robert Redford refused to sign on without a more experienced director. Good. That was the right choice. It was the right choice. It they, was. This movie wouldn't have been anywhere near as good without somebody with a specific Somebody idea had to mind. have a vision and know what they wanted to get. Exactly. And, and it's the same it's the same thing with Butch Butch Cassidy. Okay. Watching that movie, I, I, I don't just want to com- compare, but it's it's easy enough because it's the same director and the same two actors. <laughs> like, it wouldn't be the same movie without mm-hmm. the vision they had in mind. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been as interesting and unique a Western. And it's the same thing for this movie. All right, so let's go through our cast. Let's start with the number the, the number one and number two. Well, which one is technically number one? It's Paul Newman. Okay, Paul Newman. Paul Newman's number one, not in terms of order. They're both number one in my book for they this movie. They were both paid the exact same. And deservedly so. Mm-hmm. I mean, Newman is obviously the more experienced actor. Mm-hmm. He did. He, he was a star a decade before mm-hmm. Robert Redford was even getting entry roles. His agents actually told him not to do this because it was a comedy. Uh, they said, no one will take you seriously anymore if you do this. And he said, I'm doing this because I want to prove that I can do both. He's, Paul, he's lovely. Paul Newman is seriously one of my favorite actors of all time. I don't always think about it, but the stuff I see him in, I just go, God, you're, you're so good. He's just effortless and breezy. And some of it is that he's very attractive. Mm-hmm. But he's also so natural. Just perfectly natural. And that's saying something because he's embodied a lot of different types of characters. He's been an angry young man. He's been an older, wiser guy. He's been a complete old drunk. I've never seen the verdict, but I want to. I haven't seen much of Paul Newman, to be honest. We're, we're going to have to fix some of that for you. I have seen a decent amount of Robert Redford, and that's probably why that I, I favor him. That's fine. I just... Paul Newman is one of those guys that it's easy to forget how good he is in movies. Mm-hmm. And then when you watch him, you go, oh, man, there's a reason he was such a movie star. Oh, yes. Because I think unlike the Marlon Brandos and the James Deans and those types of actors in the world, he, if I recall correctly, he studied with Meisner and not Strasberg. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there's a totally different feel to his acting. Mm -hmm. He's not... A, a sort of method, ingrain yourself and pull, yank the emotions out of your soul type actor. Okay. He's much more of a react to the moment. Be in, be in the moment, be present in the moment, and react to what's going on. Okay. And you can tell that, I think. Yeah, he's good. I mean, he's, he's, he is good, and he is different enough from Robert Redford. That I enjoy seeing seeing them together. Yeah. And you can tell they are enjoying themselves. It's the exact same. Again, I'm going to go back to Ocean's Eleven. I enjoy seeing George Clooney and Brad Pitt talking to each other. Two very handsome gentlemen. Two very talented gentlemen who are evenly matched and different. And you can tell they're enjoying themselves. Absolutely. It's the exact same vibe. Now, which one is Paul Newman? Ooh, in this film. I got to say it's Brad Pitt, right? Uh, yeah. I, 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 that's what I lean towards. Yeah. Not the, not the sort of person who's trying to 
figure this out and run it. It's it's more the vibe. Um, yeah. It's the one who, I know what's going on, I got my hand on this, we're good. Whereas the Robert Redford character is more towards the George Clooney in that film where it's like, I got something else going on and I gotta hustle. I got revenge. I gotta hustle. And also, I'm gonna charm some ladies. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm cute. And sneaky. <laughs> Reminds me of our son. <sighs> well, then let's get into Mr. Dreamboat himself. Oh, Mr. Dreamboat. I do, I do really enjoy Robert Redford. I think the fil- first film I saw with him was Sneakers. That's a good one. It's a great film. I remember seeing that in the theater. I've seen a lot of his 70s work. I, I've seen mostly the early 90s work. That, A River Runs Through, which was my first Brad Pitt. Um, great films. Good films. Yeah, the stuff the stuff I really know him from is all the president's men. Never seen it. Um, the candidate, which is also a really great political movie. I I might have seen that one. That's the one where he's sort of a progressive and no name, and they bring him in and completely polish him up, and I, somehow he wins out of nowhere. I think I've seen that one. He also has a great natural knack. What's really fun in these earlier movies is that he is the young guy. Yes. And so he is the pretty boy who's also getting into trouble constantly. Yes, he plays that very well. Uh, And weirdly kind of the hothead. Yes, which makes sense. He's a young guy. He hasn't, you know, he's not aged enough. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty actually turned down that role. Both too old, I think, at the time. I think that's part of the issue. I think... I think those are both characters that those two gentlemen have played a lot. It's true. Well, and to, from my end, I think the other problem is those guys were probably about as old as Paul Newman. Well, and that's the other problem. Those two aren't going to be as interesting against Paul Newman. Exactly. Um, now, if they had switched roles, let's say Paul Newman is in the Johnny Hooker um, character, uh, Jack Nicholson or Warren Beatty could have played. I can't remember his first name. I don't know. But Warren Beatty, yeah, Warren Beatty in the Paul Newman role would be fine. Mm-hmm. But those, you know, those guys were, were totally the same age as Paul Newman. It wouldn't have worked quite as well. No. No, it wouldn't have. So I feel like this works so much better. They made a good choice. Okay, so who's next on the list after those two? Next we get another really amazing actor, Robert Shaw, who plays Doyle Lonigan. Doyle Lonigan. Oh, he's so freaking dark in this movie. Uh, I Okay, I did not like him. Is it the accent? It's not the accent. It's He's like a cartoon version of himself. And I think part of it is the limp, which I, he had her injured himself before the production, and he had to just include it as his character. Okay. So it's not his fault per se, but he feels like a cartoon character. His costuming, his... His shoulders are way overstuffed. That is not his body. He's limping. He's got this accent, which is fine, but it just comes off as cartoony. Okay, so... He, to me, is the weakest link of the whole movie. But here's what I think. I think maybe what your problem isn't that he's cartoony, Mm -hmm. because I think if he was a full cartoon villain, Mm -hmm. it would have been fine. I think the problem is that he's doing a very natural acting job, with all of those cartoon elements thrown around him. Perhaps. I think his acting is incredibly naturalistic. Hmm. For for a villain 
in a 30s type movie for him to just be a slow burn into bursting anger there's not many villains like that in these types of movies at the time at least as far as i know so it's kind of a, a completely new thing for me to see that i i really liked him i thought it was really interesting he is a bit of a drag on the energy of the film i might say and that i think is is an issue but what i like about it is that that's so unlike villains in in these types of movies i don't know i i think you're right about he just wasn't a, a a cartoon enough exactly go, like you have to go one way or the other yeah that's probably my problem and and i know he can be a cartoon because jaws oh yeah i haven't seen jaws in years yeah, he, years he, he is captain oh, yeah. quint oh yeah so oh. he's fully capable okay well this is not his best that's fair i i think he's doing a great job i just don't know that it's working in this movie all right who's next Charles Durning. Who does he play? As Lieutenant William Snyder. Oh. Now you know who Charles Durning is. Yeah, he's one of those character actors. He's a Tobolowski. He's in everything. You see him a lot. Well, it's him and Brian Dennehy. Yeah. And he's got two big things. I remember him from the Muppet movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to get frog legs. The other thing you'll remember frog him from is, uh, is Papi O'Daniel from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He's all right. Um, he plays his role well. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't detract in any way. I mean, he doesn't, he's not, he's nothing special. His role isn't meant to be a whole lot. He's that asshole cop who's bugging you. It's a very specific role. He plays it well. The end. <laughs> I feel like that story could have gotten cut out, but it does raise the stakes for Hooker. Yes. And that's the biggest reason yes. he's there. I'm, I'm okay with him being there. They could have shortened it. Now let's get to a guy who... We've run into multiple times. This is the third time we've run into him. Ray Walston as J.J. Singleton. Love him. And does, he has been someone completely different in every film we've watched so far. He really has. We first ran into him in Fast Times at Richmond High. Mr. Hand. And then we saw him two weeks ago in the apartment. Yeah. As one of the office dudes. And now he's here. As, a, uh, as the uptight... Sort of a technical guy, you might say, on the con. Yes. He's the one looking at the odds, announcing the ra the fake yeah, races. Yeah, he's doing the fake race. Pulling the wire. He's doing, he does an amazing announcer's voice. Oh, yeah. He really does. And if that, was, if that wasn't scripted and he was improving that, well done. Uh, I didn't see any notes about that, but he did it well. Uh, so I really enjoyed him when we saw him, like, oh, it's him again. <laughs> he's so stinking good, man. He is. He was really good. Next we have Eileen Brennan. I knew that was her straight from her voice. And that woman has aged very well because she looks the exact same. Yeah. Uh, she's good. As Billy. Yeah. She's that. Not really. I guess she is the madam. I forget about that. but She is a madam, but mostly she's sort of she's the. She's a businesswoman. She's the front for the operation. Yeah, she's... she's the one hiding them out, making sure mm -hmm. they're, they're not getting caught and. Trying to keep him legit. Mm -hmm. Harold Gould is Kid Twist, our mm -hmm. mustachio gentleman who is oh. ringing people up and finding all the uh, the con guys we need. Oh yeah, he was good. I enjoyed him. Uh, he's yeah, he was a fun character. I can throw in Dana Elkar's FBI agent Polk. <laughs> uh, small role, but done well. The one thing I will say, I'm I'm not great at the uptake mm -hmm. with mystery movies. 
But sometimes I'm like, I could see this coming. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually see the FBI thing coming. Oh, that it was fake? Yeah. Oh, I knew it from the second they showed up. I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a part of the deal. You always catch those. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. But um, if if they do a good enough job, I usually don't catch it until we get there, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I get it. Good job. Yeah, that's usually the one thing I usually get. We have Demetra Arliss as Loretta. Oh, is she the cafe lady? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. She, okay, I couldn't remember her name, but um, they actually had to fight for her. Because uh, the studio thought she was too plain to be sleeping with Robert Redford. And the director was like, no, she needs to be plain. She So that he fought for her. The Makes 70s. sense to me. Oh, the 70s. Um, and then finally, the uh, the only other person really worth mentioning here is Robert Earl Jones as <laughs> Luther Coleman. Yes. Okay, so he's only in the beginning of the film, and we're watching it, and Dave's like, do you know who that is? Do you know who that is? And I'm like... He seems so familiar. Well, so and I, I feel like I know who he is, but I just you're gonna have to give me a minute. And then finally, he told me. So I was watching, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This voice sounds so familiar." First of all, I saw the name, mm-hmm. but I didn't put two and two together just yet. Mm-hmm. Saw the name in the opening credits, and then I'm watching, and I'm going, "This sounds so familiar." Mm-hmm. Oh, this sounds like. So I look it up, and I was like, "Wait, is he? This is the father." Of James Earl Jones. Their voices are very similar, and they uh-huh. do look quite a bit alike. Also an actor, mm-hmm. longtime actor and mm-hmm. stage actor, also an activist, mm-hmm. was blacklisted for a good chunk of time because he was actually involved in leftist organizations. Mm, interesting. He wasn't just, you know, tangential. He was actually right. involved in that activism. Cool. So he, he was a longtime actor before his son. Which is just fascinating I, to me. I, I knew know nothing about that. He's actually great. He does a really wonderful job. So often they can, especially in the past, they can take an African American character and really either try to go way too far in giving them a dialect, mm-hmm. or they can make them so erudite. Mm-hmm. And instead, this just feels like a dude. Yeah, he's a dude. There's nothing over the top about that character or his family. They just feel normal. Yep. Which is a huge... Which is nice. That acquits the director and the writer very well. Yes. I gotta say. Okay, so next we're gonna go to the Oscars. This actually won several. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writing, Best Set Direction, Best Costume, Best Editing, and Best Score. Well, I... Yeah. Um, it was also nominated uh, Robert Redford for Best Actor. This is the only acting Oscar he has ever gotten. I don't think that's wrong. I, I th- agree. I think Robert Redford is a great actor. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But every role he does is a straight man type character Correct. to allow character actors around him to do more. That's what makes him great is that he elevates other people's performances. And this year he lost to Jack Lemmon in Save the Tiger. <laughs> uh, okay, so it was also nominated for cinematography and sound. Okay. Okay. So for Best Picture, it was up against American Graffiti. Which is legitimately a good movie. And interesting, that's a very indie movie. The Exorcist. Oh my god. The Exorcist is incredible. It, it is. really is. A Touch of Class. And Cries and Whispers. Cries and Whispers I've heard a lot about. Mm -hmm. That is one of... I I do love me some Ingmar Bergman. Mm -hmm. And that is one I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. That one's very... All of his stuff is dark. But that one is most definitely dark from what I've heard. Mm -hmm. Alright, and so for director... 
He was up against George Lucas for American Graffiti. No, Lucas was still way too inexperienced for that. And also, he's not that great a George director. Lucas is a bad director. He's an incredible cinematographer. And a great producer. Exactly. He, uh, he, no. He just can't write with He gave shit. us Star Wars. He's, he has his place in history. Oh, yeah. He has Skywalker saying there's a whole ranch. Don't, he, just, just, we're done with him. But he has, he has done more than many people to advance movies in the past 30 years. Absolutely. But directing is not one of his That's, fortes. <laughs> he needs to let his friend Steven do it. Oh. They're a wonderful partnership. And here's the thing. He's not directing anymore. So I know. It's cool. No, he's just doing his experimental stuff to mess with his new technology. And that's okay. That's good. Good for you. Uh, William Friedkin for The Exorcist. William Friedkin is a genuine rebel. Mm-hmm. And... All the stuff he's directed. I mean, we're going to see one of his movies with the French Connection. Oh, okay. He was very interested in trying to make movies sort of cinema verite. Uh, then we have Bernardo Bertolucci uh, for The Last Tango in Paris. Oh, yeah. I can't ever see that movie now. Yeah. And then Igmar Bergman for Christ Whispers. Bergman's... Bergman is legitimately amazing. We're going to have to watch some of his stuff eventually. Okay. Uh, there wasn't really much more to contest. I mean, it won most of its awards. Marvin Hamlish, for the score, he really didn't want to use the Scott Joplin stuff. He didn't want to use the entertainer. Uh, he, he, Marvin Hamlish wrote original scores. Yeah. So to have to adapt something was like, uh, no, and the it was the director who was like, this is the type of music we need to use for this, so this is what we need to do. What Hamlish was able to do in adapting it mm -hmm. and creating new stuff around it was mm. so good. It was, and it set the tone. I mean, I, of course I've heard The Entertainer. Yeah, you but, hear it on an ice cream truck every day. <laughs> but I, the most references I've had in my life have to do with seeing the little bits of this movie. So it's tied to this so much for today's audiences. So I think that's really cool. This song was lost to time until this movie came out. Oh, yeah. Nobody remembered this. And now it's, you know, in the canon forever. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when the movie won Best Picture, Julia Phillips was a producer. And she was the first woman to be nominated and win a Best Picture Oscar. And it was her winning that helped elevate women in behind-the-scenes roles in film. Bad ass. That's pretty awesome. I mean, the 70s were a changing time, and, and that's really cool that this... That's really cool that this movie had a touch of diversity to it that wasn't done to sort of try to plug diversity in for no reason. It just sort of happened. So one of the gentlemen in the con, the African-American gentleman um, who is getting the boards and stuff, Oh, yeah, the guy who's renting them the space. Yes. Or not renting the space, but running running the operation, yes. getting them all that stuff. Who's renting it to them. Yeah. Uh, his voice is very distinct. Uh-huh. He's in trading places. He's one of their servants. When they give him, here's a dollar, and he goes, a whole dollar. Uh. And I was just like, it's that dude. It's that dude. His voice is too distinct. <laughs> it, oh, I had to look that up instantly. I was like, it's that voice. Uh, and I guess my only other rando fact is that Robert Redford didn't see this until 2004. He never actually saw it. Must be a guy who doesn't like to watch himself. That's very common. Oh, I'm sure it is. I, I don't blame people like, for not wanting to see themselves. There are many people who show up on that red carpet, walk into the building, and exit almost immediately. Because they're like, I don't want to see it. Yeah. 
Like, I'll see you at the after party. We're good. Yeah. That's okay. Some people do not enjoy watching themselves. And some people just are just like, well, at this point, what's the point in watching the movie? It's done. Because they've also seen, I mean, they've also seen the whole narrative come together when they watch the daily rushes and, and are analyzing what they're doing. Well, sometimes the film completely changes that once it gets to print. Oh, yeah. So The editing room is its own mystifying place. Yeah, it can maybe completely change. So that was that movie. It was a good movie. It was. It was It was interesting to do. Um, It was unusual for us to watch a movie that both of us have never seen. And have really wanted to watch for a long time. I mean, we do that every week when we go to the movie theaters, but this was different. This is one that's just been on our list forever, and we just never uh-huh. crossed off. Yep. All right, so we have to do star ratings. I'll go first. Okay. Give it a four. You're going to give it a four? Yeah. Wow. You didn't want to go that high? No. It's a solid, enjoyable movie. It's a movie. solid, enjoyable movie, but four just seems so high. Everybody's good in it. The con's great. The con is good. They caught me in a couple of spots where I didn't quite understand what was going to happen. I just don't know if it's worthy of a four. I'm stingy with my stars. What are, what are you going to give it? I'm going to give it a three, five. Okay. I was going to do a three, but you convinced me to do a three, five. Well, why did you just want to do a three? Because it's good. But it's not amazing. But, but see, I really like Ray Wilson, so I'm going to give it that extra half star. But see, that's why I give it a four. I, if it was a three, I would be like, well, that was a movie. I enjoyed parts of it. But a four is like, I enjoyed this movie stem to stern, and I'd watch it again. Not like all the time. You're more it, giving with your stars. I'm stingy with my stars. We're just never going to understand this. this hey, this I feeling. gave the apartment a five. I'm so happy I about that. I gave it a full five. I have no idea how that I happened. have no complaints. How, we have known each other for how long? How often do I have no complaints? I know, right? <laughs> like, less than five times. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. Across all mediums. <laughs> so next week... Is another movie neither of us have seen. Yeah, I don't. I really don't know how this one has escaped us for this long. This one's worse. I think this one. No, I think this one might be deliberate on my part. I know it's deliberate on your part. I think with me, it's just like I. I don't know how this has happened. We're gonna watch Kramer versus Kramer. I don't know that many people who have actually seen this movie. Well, it's got two of the best performers in the world getting Oscars. So. Yeah, but okay. This movie, as far as I know, was a cultural touchstone. It was. But then, I don't know anybody in our demographic who has ever actually seen it. That Well, it's referenced, it's talked about, but who actually has seen it and knows what the plot is? Um, a lot of those actresses have seen it because it's Meryl Streep. Okay. And, you know, it's Meryl Streep. Yeah. Yeah. It's Meryl yeah. Streep. But, I mean, I, I can also understand why a lot of people don't want to see it because the story is kind of a bummer. It's about a bad divorce. Yeah. It's a bummer. That's fair. It's <laughs> like, a bummer. Who wants to watch two hours of that? Well, people like to watch two hour, three hour war movies, and that's kind of a bummer too. It depends on the war movie. Eh. So yeah, we're gonna do Kramer versus Kramer. Have some feelings. Maybe. Or maybe we're gonna eye, massive eye roll the whole time, be like, oh my god, this is terrible. It could be both. It has the youngest uh, Oscar nomination ever. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Best supporting actor. Until next time, guys. Hey, guys. This week we saw The Darkest Hour. 
During the early days of World War II, the fate of Western Europe hangs on the newly appointed British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, who must decide whether to negotiate with Hitler or fight on against incredible odds. Yep. The Winston Churchill movie. It was a movie about Winston Churchill. Covers about a month worth of his life. Maybe the most important month of his life. This is the part that redeemed him for a lot of people. Well, he, okay. he had a shitty track record before this happened, and then this was like, <gasps> you know, you, you pulled it off. And for the vast majority of people um, in British colonies mm-hmm. and in Ireland, this dude never, ever, ever could redeem himself because he's kind of a vile human. Oh, yes, he is. He is. You know, so, good, good leader. Sort of. For the most part. Sort of. I mean, the guy was actually in favor of apartheid. Mm, And as we hear, blessed the king's wedding to a a fascist Nazi sympathizer. I I don't know that that's true. He was okay with her marrying, him marrying. But but only because he was renouncing, he was... uh, Abdicating? Abdicating the throne. Hmm. Yeah. No, because that family would not have allowed him to marry her because she was three times divorced. No, they, okay. I've, I love the crown. They talk about that. They're, you know, the only way that he was behind that was because he was abdicating. In any case. Uh, he's a flawed human being, but this was a very uh, pivotal moment in his career as prime minister. This is a very World War II propaganda type movie, and it's it, they're they're trying to be timely with the whole resistance of fascism message, and it, it's understandable. And it's a decent partner to the movie Dunkirk because this explains what was going on in the British government during many, that period of time. As many people have said, this is literally the exact companion piece to Dunkirk. It, it just is. Yes. I think unless you are a huge history buff and you already know all about this, you really shouldn't see this movie if you haven't seen Dunkirk. I, I, I will give it this one reservation. They do talk about it. Now, they move very quickly through it. And that's because they're trying to focus on the character study more yeah. than the plot points. And, and that's okay. But I think unless you already have a lot of that knowledge, which I admittedly do not, I would have been bored and lost in this movie if i didn't already have seen dunkirk on my end i think it was it was even more you've just got to be paying real close attention to what they're saying and it's hard because they've got really thick pronounced accents well and winston churchill famously mumbles a lot he famously mumbles almost everybody famously mumbles and they're all using very proper accents with very specific speech patterns so yeah it's it's it, it's a blink and you miss it type thing if you if you if you don't get the plot points on it. Mm-hmm. I okay. I I don't really like the movie. I'm just gonna put it that way. This movie doesn't give us any information we didn't already have. Um, and when you do a movie like this, you're usually trying to show a different aspect of your subject to maybe shine some light on. Uh, a course of action that people don't talk about. And this movie didn't do anything. It did not give me any information I didn't already have. It just humanizes Churchill to to a certain degree. And I didn't need that. Well, I don't think anybody needed that. So, th- honestly, this movie is for people who love Winston Churchill, who adore him, and there is a cult of worship around him right now in certain political circles that I may not agree with. I mean, he he 
He did some good shit. He did some bad shit. He he was a famous speaker and writer. Well, as they point out, his his oratory outweighed his decision making skills. True. In a lot of ways. He was a politician. But he's the only person in Britain, and this is what he gets credit for, mm-hmm. rightfully so. He was one of the few people and the highest levels of government who understood what a threat Hitler was. Yes. Despite the fact that Hitler was a bumbling idiot. Well, and that scene with uh, King George explains it all. It's like, you know, some people don't like you for this, people don't like you for that, but... um. The man that strikes fear in Hitler's heart is a man we need to trust. Uh-huh. And that's what it came down to. In that moment. And that's fair. I, I can understand and agree with that. Yeah. They fucked up King George completely in this movie. Okay. Uh, he's very cold and horrible, and he didn't have his stutter at all. Uh-huh. Which is not historically accurate in any way, shape, or form. So, not much about this movie feels historically accurate. This is more of a I'm, love letter. I'm going to guess the speeches were accurate. Oh, well, the speeches are taken straight and, from the parliamentary And period. some of the uh, war cabinet conversations were pretty close to it. Pretty close. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say close. The, li- the line that gets me is you do not negotiate with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. And I also like that. Don't interrupt me while I am interrupting you. <laughs> the humor comes through. That they, is one thing they, that I... they hum They gave him a lot more humor than we've probably seen on screen otherwise well and interestingly enough warm humor so often churchill is portrayed as being a very dry-witted man and he was but they they tried to give him some warmth with this movie yeah they show us with his wife a lot and i would have loved a movie that honestly all of it was about him and his wife in his house i think i think that's the movie they wanted to make and then they got caught up with the speeches maybe I mean, it, you could have had a little bit of that, but it would have been really interesting to have more of that. And Kristen Scott Thomas was wonderful. All right, so let's talk about the Oscar nominations for this movie. Okay. Actor in a leading role, Gary Oldman. Yeah, he's I, he's he's gonna get this. He's gonna win this. I don't see how Timothy Chalamet could be better. Like, he'd, I, ha- he'd he'd have to give the most natural and human performance i've ever seen in a film in order to pull that off which maybe he does maybe he does maybe but i just don't think that's happening ultimately it comes down to if you took away all of the makeup we'd still see the same performance yes and it wouldn't be anything to change and i think it would be just as impactful right uh and that's that's a testament to gary oldman oh yeah so yeah he wins all right the other ones it's got cinematography no Dunkirk's gonna win that. I, mean, I think that that's up for debate. But this movie is not beautifully shot. It's serviceable. It's not bad, but it's nothing special. So bye. Costume design. No, it's historical. The end. Makeup and hairstyling. Winner, 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 winner. That's yeah. ding, 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 ding. Yep. That, that yeah. That face and, and the makeup there. Um, it's expertly done. I was genuinely when I was a little. I mean, I got bored during this movie. I was genuinely looking for the seams. Yeah. Which is kind of rude, but I don't care. It's not. I mean, you know what? I didn't find them. Exactly. I don't know where Gary Oldman begins or and Winston Churchill ends. Like, I, I just don't know. It's very well done. Yeah. So they, they deserve that trophy. They give them that full impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, production design. Um, no. no. We've already talked about this. How Blade Runner. Yeah. No. Anytime, Again, 
This is very historic. True. More than anything and else. Historic films often win when there's no competition, mm -hmm. but when you have a fantastic world that is also incredibly detailed. Yes. Because a sci-fi movie doesn't just win production design, you also have to be very intricately thoughtful with the detail of it. Well, it also just comes down to what are you what are we awarding? Are we awarding accuracy or creativity? Right. And and when it comes to set design, costume design, those are the types of awards that it should be a little bit more about the creativity. Well, and with Blade Runner, I think there's both. Oh, absolutely. Within the environment they've created, they've tried to add a level of detail that can be sussed out. Well, they had to match the previous movie in style and tone. And then but push create out, something new. And push 30 it years. 30 years forward. Absolutely. So yeah, no, that was great. And finally, Best Picture. Nope, not even close. Never going to happen. Understand why it got nominated. It's it's historic. It's a biopic to a degree. Uh, and it's a war movie. The, the, that's Oscar bait. It's, it is the tr Of all the movies, this mm -hmm. feels like the most Oscar bait movie of all of them. The Post may be a little bit more. I don't know. Because, you know, it's a triumph over, you know, something. A little bit. This is This is the little British film that could. But, you know... <laughs> Maybe a little. It's just, it's not up to par with some of the best movies we've seen this year. Uh, and what is left on that slate, there's, we've only got one more movie left, and we've seen all the best pictures, and that's Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, I mean, we're, the best two movies of the year are Get Out and Shape of Water. That's it. And I, I reserve the right to throw Call Me By Your Name in there. I've, I've of heard course. so many wonderful things at this point. Of course, but the bar is really, really, really high. It's real high for it, so yeah. I'm going to try to enjoy that movie for what it is and not be comparing it in my mind the whole time. No, um, of course, when we go to see these movies, especially once the nominations came out and after we had Golden Globes, it was still like, okay, some movies may have jumped our queue, but we're still seeing them because we want to. Yeah. And it's more about like, okay, what does this film have to offer? And then after we examine that, then it becomes, okay, where did they fall in the awards? Yeah. Well, until next time. Bye. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes, and for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com. <laughs> Until right. next time. <laughs> <laughs> that is my line. <laughs> That's my line, you dingus. Also, dingus. Also, dingus. I also flubbed it real good. Yeah. Let's go. Not only did you take my line, you fucked it up. Well, that just proves that you should still have the line. Duh. Until next time, guys. Dick. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> Sometimes they just say things because they know you're going to keep it.